This evening, we discuss the odyssey of a guy who was born a poor black child. We drag a f slightly forgotten movie from one of England's screen sweethearts into the sunlight. We spend time watching mov movies for free with a 1950s cinema usher, and sticking with the 1950s, we defy the governmental powers that be and bid you good night and good luck. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Good evening and welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To, broadcasting from St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. Sorry, you're listening to Sunshine Radio, broadcasting from St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. My name is Tosin and I shall be your host for the next hour and a half as we go back through history, looking at movies that Hollywood made pre-1980 and just fawn about how lovely they all are. With me in the studio today is Sharon. Hello. Hello, Sharon. How are you doing? All right, thank you, Tosin. Yeah, how do you, do you feel particularly sort of like treasure huntery to go back through Hollywood history and find some great films today? I do. I've been digging today, so I'm I'm geared up. Yeah, geared up, geared <laughs> up, geared right. Yeah, we like to think of ourselves as a sort of celluloid time team. <laughs> and also, oh, good welcome to, uh, uh, a welcome to our adopted ward, Alveston, in the hospital. And especially to Kathleen, who we spoke to earlier today, and who was the... Cinema Usher, the 19... Well, actually, we figured it out. I said 1950s. It was probably actually in the 40s. She was probably a cinema usher in the 40s, according to her story, but we'll get to her story later when she gets to tell it to us. Um, right. Now, what usually happens on this show? Let's just give you a little bit of a present. On this show, we usually start off talking about a bona fide classic movie, a movie that was made before 1980, and everybody just agrees and says, yes, that's it. Great film. Hands down. You can't... You, there's no arguing about it. Then we'll go into a patient choice where we'll go into the hospital and we'll speak to somebody from uh, Adopted Ward Alveston and we will have a word with them about uh, the first film that they ever saw at the cinema. Following that, we will go on to uh, Hidden Jam, which is a film that was made, but it was made, it was great, but not many people got to see it and so we decided it's time to give it its day in the sun and we shall end off with an exception to the rule. A film made after 1980, but still awesome and able to stand at any time of film history with, well, toe-to-toe, shoulder-to-shoulder with any one of these other films that we talk about today. Does it sound good? Sounds good to me. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, the first one that we're going to talk about today was actually suggested to us on Facebook by a friend of the show, Glenn. And he picked this film, which is just about, just about makes it in. It's a 1979 movie. Okay. It is uh, the first film that was the first film that someone who went to be a massive sort of film star, especially throughout the 80s. It was the first film that he ever made. And that film is The Jerk. Ah, Steve Martin. Yeah, The Jerk starring Steve Martin. And, and now the first time I ever heard about this about this film was, do you remember back in the days before we had video on demand, how BBC Two would have these series where they'll decide to go, oh, we're going to do uh, like, you know, an Ingrid Bergman series, series and they'll show like, you know, every night of the yeah. week, they'll show one of his films or something like that. Or they'll say, we're going to do a Stanley Kubrick series. And, what, and, and so they decided that they were going to do a, I remember it was BBC Two. I remember that it was late at night and they, would, they decided we're going to have a series. BBC Two was the home for that sort of thing. Yeah, it was the home for that sort of thing. Usually, in, maybe sometimes produced by Barry Norman or someone like that, just yeah. sort of saying, this is what we're going to do and we're going to go in there and this film came on and they were doing a steve martin um steve martin uh what's the word uh sequence or steve martin series where they were going through some of his films and th this was the first time i got introduced to the jerk and i love steve martin i think probably the first film i saw steve martin's was it was probably the man with two brains it was okay yeah because that was on loop on on one on one of these or in nigeria where i grew up we had random stuff come up on tv <laughs> we had and you just seemed to have and it seemed like each different tv station decided that they were going to do their own random thing and there was one tv station that just decided that randomly at random times we were going to show the man with two brains so, <laughs> so everybody knew this film and we all grew to love steve martin and then finding out that this was the first film that he ever made and so okay we have steve martin he's from he's a californian white american guy and this film kicks off and you just see him it's just him sat down on his, uh, looking like he's down on his luck, like he's a bit of like a homeless person. And he looks at the camera and he goes, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, I mean, from the first light of this film, I feel like it just gets you like, okay, what are we in for here? Yeah. And you, you, get to, you get to meet him. You get to meet his character. I think his character is called Naveen, Naveen Johnson, which is quite a... Uh, 
stereotypical black American name. <laughs> and it turns out that he was adopted by a black family when he was, well, like they found him as a baby. He was adopted by the black family and they just raised him as one of their own. And he never realized that, <laughs> that he, he wasn't. He never, he never took that he wasn't black. <laughs> yeah. he, but he has all these different things. Like he's like, oh, but why is it that everybody else in the family has rhythm and I don't? <laughs> <laughs> Mm. I wonder. <laughs> and they're like, don't worry, don't worry, child. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. <laughs> and, all that kind of stuff. and it's just it's just hilarious. It's hilarious the way they do it. And then it turns out that one day they tell him, okay, look, we've got to tell you the truth. You're not biologically us. <laughs> and so they have to tell him, okay, you're, you're not biologically us. So you've got to go out into the world and you've got to sort of find, you've got to find your, your path in life and all that kind of stuff. So he ends up going out and it's one of these sort of like, um, it's one of these sort of odyssey. It's, it's like you know, like so sort of Homer's Odyssey. Like you do, yeah. you go out there, and you meet these people, and you move on it, and it becomes this almost kind of. And they said, you know, he because um, Steve Martin. Obviously, this was the first one he was ever in. <laughs> Tell them to listen to the podcast. They can't. <laughs> they can't phone us while we're on air. <laughs> So yeah, so this is the so is the first one we ever made. He it was directed with Carl Reiner, and they said they wanted to have this like originally his his original thing was just an idea of things that were going to happen and encounters that this character was going to have, and they said they wanted something big and they wanted like something that sort of like said something like uh, I think it was it Tolstoy who wrote a, who wrote something called the idiot or something, <laughs> and they wanted something like that but not not as serious as that. So oh yeah, yeah the jerk. <laughs> That's what they came up with it. So and so he goes up and he has all these different things. He ends up working at a carnival. He meets a girl, and he ends up getting. Uh, he, he meets a girl who gets married. He makes a fortune. He loses the fortune, which is where you meet him at the beginning of the yeah. film. And you, you have, and it, it sort of does this almost kind of. In a way, there's there's an element of it that I feel is a bit like the Great Gatsby, mm-hmm. where you know the Great Gatsby tells you the story about this guy who sort of like goes up and it's the American dream and he yeah, get, the self-made man. Yeah, the self-made man, and it's it's with this, it's a bit like it's a bit like the comedic a comedic spin on the great gatsby and a comedic spin on all these movies that talk about the great american dream and about how you would actually go about achieving it and all that kind of stuff and of uh, yeah but i just think it's 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 great it's great and also one more thing about about this is like when when i said we we're going to do this film the jerk you started reeling off a whole bunch of steve martin movies didn't you yeah the ones i've seen yeah which were okay, yeah. Cara, give, give me some of uh, those dead men don't wear played yep um, the Mammoth Brains. Yeah. And LA Story. LA Story. And yeah. there's the one, I'm trying to think of the one. It's with, uh, where, it's like a body swap type thing where he. With he and Lily Tomlin. He and Lily Tomlin. All of me. All of me, that's yeah. it. They're the ones I was thinking of mainly. And then he's reappeared quite recently, well, not quite, but three or four years ago. And it's complicated where he sort oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. appeared it's, again. But, yeah. you know, because you tend to think of him as being. 1980s yeah. really don't you and then suddenly he's like you're in a film with Meryl Streep now, how did that happen well <laughs> the, the thing with it is because I think um, yeah he, he he essentially ruled 1980s comedy yes like, the thing is pretty much you, you could not Steve Martin in the ni- in the eighties was kind of like a banker for a really really good comedy, the kind of comedy where you think oh it's going to be original, you're going to laugh, you're going to think where the heck did they come up with that idea, and it's going to flow and it's not going to feel pushed like I feel a, a lot of comedies nowadays yeah. feel like they're really stretching and pushing for mm. the joke, and I feel that it's Steve he's Martin he ruled that and then also to to the beginning of the nineties he kind of went away like I think. I think having such a massive hit rate yeah. probably took its toll. Just wore him out. Yeah. And I, didn't he do do Mr. Magoo? Was he Mr. Magoo? No. No, no, that's Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. You're thinking of uh, yeah, Leslie Nielsen, who or usually... did he do something that was just ill-conceived of something? Yeah. It just really didn't work. Or, or many people do not like his Pink Panther. That's it. He did Pink Panther. <laughs> yeah. I know there's something that was a like big that he took on that was like, no, don't go there. Yeah, he he, he, he he updated the Pink Panther and he played Inspector Clouseau. And obviously, you're trying to take on something that was made iconic by Peter Sellers. Yeah. You're kind of onto a loser from the word go. Yeah, it's just like, don't so go there. So everybody's just going to, it doesn't matter how well you do it. People are just going to be like, you shouldn't be doing that yeah. because that's Peter Sellers and yeah. just keep your hands off it. I, I think he did an okay job. 
But the problem was that you had Peter Sellers, the ghost yeah. of Peter Sellers, just hanging over the whole thing. So it it just didn't quite work out that way. But yeah, but he had this massive hit rate that he came back later and he has come back with stuff that isn't sort of maybe not out and out funny. Mm. Where he it tends to be, I think probably as he's grown older, it's more reflective. It's more so so like it's complicated. Yeah, it's, he's it, grown up a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a comedy, but it, at the same time, it's looking at some serious issues as yeah. well as like finding for older people finding love. He wrote a book called Shop Girl, and he was in the film as well called, uh, of Shop Girl with Claire Danes. That I remember, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah I think in his later, in his later life, uh, probably the 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 last laugh out loud pure comedy I can remember him being in was Bowfinger with Eddie Murphy, which was a okay. Bit of, that's going back a while now, though, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's but I like, do remember that's funny. Yeah, yeah, that is very funny. And it's like a martial arts scene, if I remember. <laughs> there is there is a hilarious martial arts scene <laughs> yeah. in that film. And, <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, and this film is where it all started for him as a as a film star. The this jerk, is, yeah, this yeah. The, the jerk is where it all started for him, and it is unfortunately it's probably about the only the only Steve Martin film we can actually talk about legally on this show if we're going to stick to our own yeah, rules. Yeah, they're all after nineteen eighty because he he just got in there in nineteen seventy nine, but then the eighties he ruled. So I'm thinking maybe we'll have to do when we come to exception to the rule, we can do a whole bunch of Steve Martin yeah. movies and talk about how great he was. But in and and one of the things that I think with a lot of his characters is that you tend to get this innocence. He he plays characters that have a sort of innocence and like so even when you think about the man with two brains you think about the character he his his character in that is is a bit of a frankenstein type character like a dr frankenstein yes. doing all these experiments but you look at him and you still think oh but he's oh but he's steve martin yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He, has, he has this innocence about him and he has this sort of like oh yeah i just want to hold him oh, another one roxanne yes yeah, of course the adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac that Roxanne and you think same thing in that he, his, yeah. the character just has this sweetness and this innocence about him and I think this is probably the archetypal Steve Martin innocent character bordering on the stupid I'm trying to think there's a film with Mary Steenberger where they're parents and it's not called Parenthood or it's something. Parenthood yeah that's, Parenthood. that's Parenthood yeah, yeah that, I think that, that was, was where he, that was yeah. where he did it he, he went a little bit that's not a laugh that's more of a sort of that's comedy, more comedy drama yeah, yeah, yeah comedy there's, drama. there's humour in it yeah but it's not a comedy as such no. he does get a couple of scenes in it where he gets to do his Steve Martin shit. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, know, I remember there was a film I remember growing up when remember when he had like video uh, video stores. Yes. I remember we went to, we, so we, as we said, we grew up and we thought, okay, we got Steve Martin. He was going to be in a film, guaranteed, going to make you laugh. And there was a film he did called Grand Canyon, which was, uh, which had, it, w- it was one of these films with a massive ensemble cast. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it had a massive ensemble cast. I remember watching the film and going, yeah, Steve Martin's in it. And then he, from what I, rem- I just remember him spending a lot of the film, he has like a beard and he's in a hospital bed and he's talking to somebody and I'm like, this isn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> this this is funny. On? Yeah, well, why Steve Martin make what what's going on? I think he was a bit like um Robin Williams in that regard, wasn't he? That every now yeah. and then he'd throw in there a film that you think this isn't a Robin Williams film. Yeah, like, this is a, this is, yeah I'm not this laughing. Is, I don't like this. It's like like you know, yeah. Because you think a few of those, but it's like okay, why are you what are you doing? It's like what are you <laughs> do you not know who you are? Yeah, this is not your milieu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's like you know. But as I was saying, the, the these characters have this innocence to them, and this one has an innocence bordering on the stupid. <laughs> and this is this is a scene in the film because as the film goes on, he meets a girl played by Bernadette Peters, who is awesome in this mm. film. And I think this role was written for her, and she's just she Bernadette Peters is like one of these actors that you look at and you think. I can't believe you're a real person. Yeah, why aren't you better known? Well, I know we know because yeah. film people know her, but yeah. it's like, why aren't you yeah. massive all around the world? Yeah, I, I think she was for a while in the 80s, but yeah. like, if you look at her, she looks like a doll. She yeah. sounds like one as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy hair, crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, she just looks she just looks unreal. And um, this is a scene in the film, which I think is actually quite cute, but also shows the cuteness of the character and the cuteness of this budding romance that he's getting. And also the idiot... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, essentially, he's called the jerk for a reason. So um, this is them singing along uh, to a song called Tonight You Belong to Me.
me So that that is actually quite a nice sweet scene that we've just been watching in there, and uh, and it it's kind of like in the f- feeling with the film that they they end up on this beach and Steve Martin's playing his ukulele. He's actually quite well known as a ukulele player and a banjo player. He actually has a band. Yes. Steve Martin has a band. I think oh what are they called? It's like a blue the lone Mount, lonely canyon. They're like bluegrass, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, lonely canyon. That stuff. Some of the stuff is quite good if if you yeah would listen to it. And if you follow him on Twitter, he's hilarious on Twitter. <laughs> but um, so yeah, he's playing the ukulele and they're walking along the beach and then he sits down with Bernadette Peters, who from watching this video, we've just decided that she is the closest thing to a human equivalent of Betty Boop. Yes. That exists. And yeah, so yeah. And then as they're singing this song, you heard in that song, you heard a trumpet solo or cor- cornet solo, which she just produces from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> just starts playing. Sat on the beach in front like, of a blazing what? fire. Yeah, it's yeah. like, where the heck did that cornet come from? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have like, and obviously you have Debbie going, oh, I didn't want to get spit on me. And it's, but it's, I think it's just such, a, the, <laughs> there's just a lot of great moments in this film. It's not so much interested with plot shall I say yeah. that things happen but as I said it's kind of almost episodic oh this happens and this happens and this happens and he invents this thing to stop glasses slipping off people's nose and that's how he makes his fortune but then it turns out that um, the thing that he invented to to make uh, to to keep glasses on people's nose actually uh, actually makes them cross-eyed so they all sue him <laughs> and so he loses his entire fortune I said hey I need one of those I can never keep my glasses on my nose <laughs> and, 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 I re- and I remember that there's a scene there's a scene with a oh there's a scene where he gets rich so he and he and the Bernard Peters characters um, get married and there's this scene where they, they essentially do the typical we've gotten rich now and forgotten our roots scene where they're like in this massive um, Hollywood mansion and I can't remember exactly what they have but they just have like all these stupid extravagances and all like butlers and animals <laughs> in the house and all that kind of stuff and the money sort of rips them apart and all that so you have you have within this almost kind of like you know your typical rags to riches as I said Gatsby kind of story mm. But just crazy stuff happening around it, and it's just, and I think it 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 deservedly, deservedly cemented um Steve Martin as a comedy genius. It deservedly made him a massive film star, and it's spoken as a classic of his genre. And I really, really, when you 
like when I see some of the films nowadays, I'm that as I said, um, comedies and stuff. I'm yeah. thinking about well, Adam Sandler. I mean, Adam Sandler had he had a patch where he was good and yeah, then and then not, <laughs> and yeah, then he kind of he seems lately to have become a caricature of himself. Yeah, so he bled that well a bit dry, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he he did. I mean, and Seth Rogen, he and his fat pack and Judd Apatow and all those guys, they have yeah. their moments. They have their moments, but I still feel like when you look at a film like The Jerk, it's just kind of like they've created this character and they yeah. put this, this There's heart to it. And there's, there's a, a lot of these are a bit soulless, aren't they? They can be funny, yeah. but some of the fun, the humour can be a bit cruel, I think, in some of these modern com- yeah. comedies. And there's not really... They don't know how to get the heart without being sentimental. And there's a difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some, like, for instance, there's a film Knocked Up. Yes. Yeah, which I think... that one of the few that I think works. Yeah, that actually got that thing. I think The 40-Year-Old Virgin as well. So I haven't seen that one. Oh, the, I, I, really, I really feel like, yeah, I feel like that nailed the whole sort of comedic, crude, a little bit and everything like that. But at the same time, with quite a bit of heart. Just yeah. sort of like in there, and you're thinking, "Oh wow, that is that." Yeah, <laughs> that that I is. About this. Yeah, when you finish the film, you're like, "That was a bit deeper than I thought." Mm. A bit like um, the Adam Sandler film Fifty First Dates. Yes. That 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 ends up being a very good film, and it ends up being deeper than you think going yeah, into. Yes, one of the few Adam Sandler things I think is actually funny and moving. Without you just hating him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I would agree with that. Uh, I would agree. It's actually it's funny. It's moving. You actually end up going, oh wow, they're actually saying something with this film. Like, and you 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 feel something for it. And I feel like, but, but when I look at the Jack, I just feel like it's it just has all that. I mean, it is it is crude. There are some seeds. Like there's <laughs> there's okay. Let's put it this way: navigating the Steve Martin character is when he leaves home, he's a virgin. And uh, his mum had always told him that, oh, don't worry about that. That's a special purpose. There's a special purpose for it. And you will find out one day. And there's this whole scene where he discovers his special purpose. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, oh, my God. There's a whole scene where he discovers his special purpose. And it's hilarious just the way it's done. I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's funny. It's sweet. It's all these things. And it rolls out of this character that Steve Martin has created. And this innocence and this way he views the world in which you think it's just kind of like, it's it's almost a bit sad when he becomes rich and gets a bit slightly corrupted. But quite frankly, it's just, it's, Glenn, thank you. Great yeah, choice. choice. Great choice. I think The Jerk is, uh, I need to revisit it and watch mm. it and refresh it in my mind because I really do feel like it's just one of those films that is just effortlessly funny or it comes across as effortlessly funny. I'm sure Steve Martin and Carl Reiner put a heck of a lot of work into it, but it just comes across as effortlessly yeah. funny. So, yeah, I like that. Cool. And you haven't seen it, have you? No. We need to get you. I think copy. I've seen clips of it, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. I no. don't think I have. We need to get you a copy of The Jerk. <laughs> but now we go on to the section of the show where we go into the hospital and speak to a patient. Uh, we have adopted Alveston Ward in um, on the show. And today I went to Alveston and had a word with Kathleen, uh, who was, when we asked them the question, like, you know, what was the first thing you ever saw at the cinema? And Kathleen was quite chatty, had quite a bit of a story to tell. And this is what she had to say. Did it catch your name? Snow, Mrs. Kathleen Snow. Kathleen Snow. So, so um, Kathleen, could you just tell us a little bit about the first time you went to the cinema? Who did you go with? What film did you see? I, I worked, first of all, I worked at one for three years. And then I, I didn't leave there. I, went, I let, still went on another one somewhere in there. I forget now. And then, what did I do? Did I change that? I used to love it because, oh, up in the, um, I went up in the cafe. And then I was up there, and, and it was lovely. I used to go in at 10, go upstairs at 10 and watch the um, dancing. I love dancing, yeah. And that was very nice, you know. And I don't think I had another job, because I, I can't remember. <laughs> so so what, what, what year are we talking about? You said that you used to watch the dance. What year was this? Oh, when I was 17. I was 17. I'm 88 now. So that's a long time ago, isn't it? But let me think if I can remember when I retired. <laughs> yeah. well, well, so from that time, what was your favourite film to watch when you when you would go upstairs and you stand in the back and you would have a look? What were your favourite films to watch? Any, anything, really. Yeah, I watched more or less. I didn't have a favourite. 
because I used to go and watch the pit and I, I don't remember which one was the best at the moment. All all seemed good, you know. How about the dancing? What was your favorite dancing thing? Oh, dance. Um, what's it called? Um, it's called no. dancing, modern dancing, um, but. It had a name. What did you say again? What it was? What you asked me? No, because you said you li you liked watching the dancing. Yeah. And I was saying like, what, what, what were the favorite things you had to dance was like? You know, because you know they had like Fred Astaire, Ginger oh, Rogers. Oh yes, of course, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, and what was our ones? Our ones as well. I used to get all the dancing. See, and you said it used to be free because it was where I worked, so it was beautiful. Yeah. And they used to have somebody to learn dancing as well, which was nice. Well, in the cinema? Yeah, for the cinema. Mm. But I can't remember. It's such a long time ago, I just can't. It might come to me and I'll write it down. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Kathleen. So, so with one of uh, because obviously we're gonna with the show we always play like a song for. Is there a song you'd like us to play for you for like so like that reminds you of that era? Yeah, like Fred Astaire and Rich, um, <laughs> I can't remember his partner. Oh, Ginger um, Rogers. That's right, Ginger Rogers. And there was a lot, a lot more. I wasn't there. Um, what do you think? Should we play you some heaven? I'm in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I love that music and dancing and that, you know. Because I married at 18, had my family and that, but I still went dancing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I still went dancing. I loved it. The happiness I see When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek Yes, and that is Heaven with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers from the movie Top Hat. <laughs> Quite dreamy, isn't it, that it sort of music? It is very, very dreamy, yeah. You can just picture them dancing to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I'm surprised they didn't do more of that sort of thing on Strictly because they, they try to do the fox drops and the tankers and things and they tend to put a lot of modern music in it but sometimes you think it actually really works well when they do... When you just do the, t the do typical classic, classic thing that you know works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you think, yeah, do a bit like that, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, it's like, I think it's it's just because that was a, so that's top from Top Hat, nineteen thirty five, made in nineteen thirty five, and so there were. Uh, was speaking to Kathleen, there were a couple of things I thought I was like, she's talking about working in cinema, uh, working in a cinema, and that has for ages was my dream job mm. or just working in the cinema because it was I remember I, I remember when I was at university I must have applied about three times to three different cinemas around university ah. to get get a job there because yeah. I was like you get to work in a place with films and you get to get in there and watch them for free yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, I never even heard back from them after I, oh, they no. never got back in touch and the other thing I tried working was I tried working in a DVD rental store I tried actually filling out the application they yeah. never got back in touch with me and this was like my dream jobs for, for god knows how long i just felt like oh fine you don't want to give me a dream job you're gonna sit down here and watch movies all day you guys i don't know what's wrong with you yeah. <laughs> it's not fair life's not fair one of my many first cousins was uh, in worked in the cinema at newport oh yeah and yeah he, he's got some of these like lobby cards from the 40s and 50s that he'd saved but yeah he got a job as a teenage boy in the in the cinema one of this because in newport had like four or five cinemas at yeah one back time. in the before before the cine world came in and everything went everything went <laughs> but yeah they sort of disappeared over time but yeah when i grew up there's two in newport but yeah back in the war years there were you know three or four yeah and I he was in one of them yeah, because whenever we do the interviews with people, they they keep mentioning all these different cinemas that yeah. they all oh, went to the Savoy and went to this and went to that and all, and I'm like, what? The, uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> there, apparently there used to be a cinema where the the hotel is. Is it the 
the big hotel. What is that one? Not the holiday, the travel lodge. The travel lodge. Where that is now, there was a cinema there. Well, I, I know there was a cinema on the corner opposite Pizza Express, where Solon Beds and Furniture is now. Yes, that uh, was the Savoy. That because yeah. that was, the Savoy Court was named after the Savoy that was there. That's where I went to the cinema at the Savoy. Yep, and I know that there was one on the high street above what Yates was now. Yeah, Yates. that was Studio One when I was a teenager, was growing up. Yep, and then it became Picture Dome. Yeah, no, it's, it's but it was Studio One throughout the seventies. It was Studio One because opposite there was Stag Sweet Shop. So you'd go and get your your <laughs> sweeties from Stag Sweet Shop, and then you'd go to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> then on the way home, you'd go to the fish and chip shop, which was just down the high just street. Just down the road, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, I do feel it's a bit of a... Because I feel that when you had all these different cinemas, I feel like they would have had to sort of fight to have their own identity and all that kind of stuff to actually attract people in. Yeah. And I feel that nowadays, it's it, it's it's kind of gotten... They, they figured out the business to the level where they can just sort of like standardize it. Yes. They can standard, and on the one hand, I guess that's good and I guess that's kind of progress. But on the other hand, you do kind of lose that sort yeah. of charm or that kind of identity that all these smaller cinemas... They do bring their would, own w- yeah, w- unique feel to it. Yeah, would have had. I have yeah. to say would have had because I've never really been at a place where there were all these different ti- tiny cinemas. But by the time I got to the point where I was watching films, it was all your yeah. Odeons yeah. and your UGCs, which They're, became your cine worlds. Indie cinemas and then, gone. Yeah, and your Warner Brothers picture houses which became view yeah <laughs> and all that kind of stuff so because growing up on the island there was still a cinema right at ventner when i grew up there was a rex which was on the old pier uh, the name the uh, rex yeah the rex at ventner and there was the mini cinema at lake yeah that oh, i used oh, yeah. to love as a teenager because uh, the puppet show, the puppet show. you see i've heard yeah. legends <laughs> i've heard legends of the, the puppet, puppet show come out of the puppet show cinema at Lake and I'm like I'm never going to get to see that because no. it's no longer there but it's still, there's still the cinema at Ride the Commodore's yeah, at Ride the Commodore and that's Ride. been there for years yeah years and years and years what's it like in there does it have its own would you say it has its own sort of identity yes it has got I'll go because going up the stairs they've got these sort of almost landings you've got like two steps and a long landing then two or three steps and a long landing Ooh. and they've got old film posters on the walls from different years so like 1940s 1950s films yeah and some of them have got the old playbills from when they used to have different things there so the ride cinema the ride film club that's just started up yeah um they use the cinema they go to the commodore once a month and we went there last month to see black narcissus yeah which is a Paul and pressburger film and um, and to see that the cinema is quite a treat but yeah you walk in then it feels like an old school cinema because you know it's it is it's a privately independent run independent Independent yeah, cinema. See, I need to bite the bullet, and it's because I've got a Cineworld Unlimited card. That's so, it, because so I have I'm the like, same. And I'm like, like, no, I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm not gonna drive all the way to ride and then pay money pay? to watch a film. <laughs> 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 I think I just have to bite the bullet one of these days and go check out the Commodore, uh, yeah. or just join the Ride Film Club. Um, okay, so we were trying to figure out. Yeah. We were trying to figure out. Um, uh, so um, Kathleen mentioned that she was 17 yes. when she was working as an uh, as an usher. And she is now 88. So that is 71 years. So we're yeah, talking so 70. Yeah, so that back to like 1945? 1945. She's talking 1945. So we're talking 1945. The war, uh, the Second World War is just about ending. Yeah. It's just about ending and all that. And she also mentioned there that she went to watch the dancing. And she, she when I mentioned Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, she also, she, she also said, oh, and some of some of our guys. Yeah. And so I was the, I, from that, I take it to mean, English, British, yeah, English in, stars yeah. or British stars, yeah. And so you were trying to figure out some of those. And I was to thinking the most. I think I was thinking Moira Shearer probably would come in there as a proper dancer. Because mm-hmm. again, thinking of the Powell and Pressburger link, she did the Red Shoes, yep. which was one of the big dance films yep. of sort of the forties, fifties, and and then leading into the fifties, you get more. I think I think like Alma Cogan, she appeared then. The girl with the giggle in her voice. <laughs> I think she was. I think she did, might have done a few films as well. Um, but I think she was heading into the 50s more than the okay. 40s. And then obviously into the 50s, into the 60s, you've got Tommy Steele. So I was th- trying to think of all these British stars. I mean, there's loads out there, aren't there? I mean, we had our own cinema. We had Austrian and Pinewood and we had our own well, yeah, 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 cinema, yeah. you know, generating industry. But, you know, when you think now, I think, oh, who were the sort of dance stars or the <laughs> film stars well, of the, because, that era? Because I, I, but I, I think Moira Shearer, she was probably the big dancer, wasn't she, in film as well as... Well, because of because of the red shoes, she didn't really do many films apart from the red shoes. She kind of disappeared from public eye after that. She I married think. a uh, peer, didn't she? She called Lady Kennedy. Ooh, 
oh, someone's doing well. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a oh, so, and I think I figured that at that time the British ci- British cinema wasn't so much about it wasn't because obviously your musicals were expensive and they were big yeah. and they were huge. And I feel that British cinema has always always shied away from oh, we don't have the money yeah. to. To go head to head yeah with, with Hollywood no. so we're going to go with something different so like where Hollywood had like you know the big massive musicals the Brit- Britain had the Ealing comedies yeah something more quirky so something more quirky and all that kind of stuff and it, in the final section of the show when we start talking about films that are at the cinema yeah. I have something to say about this because there's a film on at the moment that I feel carries on this tradition of a British film looking at the, what they do in America and go yeah, that costs too much money. We can't do that. And look, at, we're going to come up with an idea. And we're going to do something yeah. that's going to... And it's going to be the idea that catches you. And it's going to be small and intimate, but it's still going to be really, really good. And so, so yeah, it's hard to actually figure out who the British stars were yeah. back then. I think because more here, I think it was more... I'm not, I think it's not a vaudeville. That's not the word we used here. But things like the Palladium, you know, Saturday Night Entertainment. You had the entertainers who did yeah. a bit of everything. I'd like, yeah. I was thinking like Roy Castle because he appeared as a... He used to sing, he used to dance, yep. he used to then he was got went on to present that we know in front of record breakers. But his early career, it was all about his singing and dancing. Yeah. Like Morgan Weiss, da- their early films were about them singing and dancing and acting and doing all these things. So yep. we've all, we've used more of a variety, that's the word I was thinking of. Uh, we've had more of like variety stars where they do a bit of everything. So I think and that's why I think of Tommy Steele, because you know, we know him as a as a song, he sings, he dances, he went on stage, he made films, he did a bit of the whole yep. lot. Yeah, well, so seeing as it was 1945, do you reckon that Vera Lynn might have gotten a look in? Yeah, Vera Lynn. And I was thinking of the other forces, Anne Shelton. Anne Shelton. She was the other forces sweetheart who, who was, uh, in my dad's opinion, was prettier than Vera Lynn. <laughs> but had just as much, just as nice a voice. And actually, we've got an Anne Shelton deep... Uh, um, CD at home because um, when all this war stuff came out it was like oh I'll get you some Vera Lynn tunes it's like no not Vera Lynn you know she had a lovely voice but she wasn't much to look at Anne Shouten was the one <laughs> that ticked all the boxes <laughs> oh, I mean, okay, before the show started you did show me a picture of Anne Shelton and I did think oh I see where your dad was, was I see where your dad I see, I, let me see oh, how do I put this I see what your dad's predilection was yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can see what your dad's predilection was on that alright cool so thank you so much for that Kathleen thank you for the walk down memory lane for the talk about what cinemas were like in those days and the stars and all that sort of stuff that we don't we don't get much now we don't we don't. although although there's a film called La La Land okay coming out which is, stars Ryan Goslin and uh, Emma Stone and apparently, from what I've seen, the little bits I've seen about it, it's essentially them two walking through L.A. at night, and it's a musical. And it looks like, from some of the dance moves and stuff, they're trying to bring a little bit of that Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers oh, thing lovely. with a modern twist on it. Oh, that so, sounds fun. So yeah, if you're listening, have a look for that La La Land. So now, okay, you're listening to Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. It is now 6.39. Oh, wait, if we wait... Two seconds. It is now six forty. So, precisely. Yeah, precisely. It was six forty about five seconds ago. <laughs> and and um, we go into the section of the show now, which is the hidden gem, which is where we pick a film that we think is great, is brilliant, but has not had much of a day in the sun. Nobody really talks about it or lords it or celebrates it. So we decided, you know what? We are going to celebrate this film. We are going to bring this film out, and we are going to talk about how good it was. This has been this week was a Sharon choice. One of my choices. Yep, and as I said, it stars like you know probably what is I think probably the British screen sweetheart. When I think yeah. about British screen sweethearts that go back decades, I can't really think of many. I think most of them ended up in America. Yeah, so she was like a child actress who became grew up on in front of our eyes, and yep. we still see her appearing in our screens. Sort of more recently so yeah someone we've all lived with all our lives probably okay cool now oh yeah oh this is like a quiz isn't it oh <laughs> it's like a cliffhanger people are like oh who is it who is it well i'll tell you what we will let you know who that is after playing some music from the film and let's see if you can figure out who it is if you haven't already done that before we come back in about four minutes time so here is some music from the film we are about to talk about
<laughs> yeah, so now let's see. That was the music from a movie called Sky West and Crooked. Now, would you like to reveal who the star is that we're talking about? Who grew up in front of the eyes of the nation and we still see her on nowadays? Yeah, Hayley Mills. Hayley Mills. Yeah, we first met her as a small child. I'm trying to think, is she like in Tiger Bay? I think she was. And then, I knew her from The Parent Trap. Parent Trap, yeah. yeah. And all these these films in the 60s where yeah. she she was just burst onto the scene and then we like saw like the English Shirley Temple or yeah. something like that and then you had this sort of gap in the middle where she had a sort of few coming of age type films uh-huh. and then she just sort of did her growing up very publicly and then we now see her she was in like Wild at Heart sort of not that long ago and yeah. other things she appears in but yeah she's grown up we all know Hayley Mills and yeah and we this grew is, up with her this is quite interesting this film because as I was telling you earlier I know young Hayley Mills and I yeah. know old Haley Mills but I don't know in the middle Haley Mills <laughs> I don't think I've yeah. seen a film and this is this is one where okay because you look at the poster of the film and it's her and Ian McShane a yeah. young uh, young Ian who kind of pretty looks the same only just with a few less lines <laughs> um yeah and they and getting a little bit amorous shall I say yes so this looks like it's it's Kind of like you know, young woman Haley Mills. Who, yeah, it is that, young I, woman it was. that I haven't really seen on the yeah. screen. So what what's going on? As we've done so often in this show, we have these inadvertent themes. And as you were saying, the one of the themes of the jerk was is his innocence. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, this is like that that innocence of a of a child when that on that sort of the cusp of sort of womanhood. Yeah. And how. The events of her childhood are reflecting her life, but now she's no longer a child, and it's making that step from being a child to being an adult. All right. And so this is where this is you see this point where when you first meet her, you think she's younger than she is, and as the story goes on, you think actually she's not a child; she's you know a young woman. Yep. And there's a few sort of older guys in the film make slightly creepy remarks, like saying, "Oh yeah, she's we've noticed she's filling out a bit." And you think, Ooh. <laughs> 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 but it's basically she she's. Hey, Hayley Mills plays this character, Bridie White. Yep. Who you first meet her, she's um, is sitting in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 sorry. That's when you first meet the grown-up Hayley Mills. But the, the pre-credit scene, as yep. it is, is a scene where you see these two children. There's a little boy and a little girl, and they're playing around in this meadow. And then she's a little sweet, blonde-haired little girl sitting in the grass. And his little boy, he's playing with his dad's shotgun. Yes, and because I've seen the opening scene. And it starts yeah. off almost like you know, along the barrel of a shotgun. Along the barrel of a shotgun, yeah. yeah. And he's just grabbed hold of his... He's a farmer, his farmer's boy. He's grabbed hold of his... And he's just playing with it. And she's going, no, stop it, Julian, stop it. And then you see them running across the field, just laughing and joking. Yeah. And then the camera cuts away and you hear a, the shotgun blast. And then you see the people from the village looking out their windows and then running over. And then it cuts away. And the next scene you see is Hayley Mills sitting at this graveside. And it just says on the gravestone, Julian, mm-hmm. beloved son, aged eight. Yeah. And then you look at her and the wind catches her hair. And then you see this horrible sort of scar on her forehead. And she's this sort of little girl. She's just sort of talking to Julian, laying flowers there. And there's the sort of church verger comes along and says, Oh, you, you're not allowed. Your His dad says you're not to be there. So clear yourself along. And then you see this sort of swarthy gypsy lad walking along the lane. Ian McShane. And it's Ian McShane. Ian McShane. And you know that he's a swarthy gypsy lad because he's got a red handkerchief around his neck, <laughs> which is always a giveaway in these. <laughs> it's always a clue. <laughs> oh, it was a simpler time. <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of spots Haley Mills and goes like, "Oh, I say," as it were, silently. Yeah. And then the the sort of the, the, the sort of verger is, you know, you to take yourself off, you jippo, mm-hmm. using a non PC term of its. Time. It was a, it was a it was a simpler, more racist time. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we used to, everyone had a label. <laughs> <laughs> and as you sort of see Haley Mills's character, this bridey white, you realise that that she's slightly fey in that that she's not very worldly, mm-hmm. and that you when you see her, she's normally surrounded by children. That the adults don't know quite how they. There's this you get the feeling there's this secret about what happened to Julian. Oh yeah, and that he's dead and she's still alive, and somehow everyone more or less holds her responsible, but no one's actually told her about what happened. Yeah, so she's grown up knowing that there's something has gone on hmm. but they've never ever directly told her what it what happened and she can't remember because she was a small child and she sustained this head injury oh, oh. but she's lived she's lived under this shadow so everyone says she's not right that girl that's why the, the name of the film is sky west and crooked because that's like a west country term for meaning not quite right in the head ah uh, cool gotcha well, 
this th- th- sorry there was a film that we spoke about a couple of, called the dressmaker which has a very similar yes. setup it's, yes, that's right. It, it is. It yeah, with Kate Winslet. Yeah. yeah, with Kate Winslet. Okay, cool. But carry on. <laughs> yeah, so there's this sort of mystery of her childhood. And then she's she's grown up fascinated by death because she knows there's this shadow. And she knows she used to play with a boy, but he wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. But she can't remember what happened to him. Mm-hmm. But she's fascinated by death and her like two hamsters die. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of her friends, his, his mole dies. He's got a pet mole. Yeah. And his mole dies. And they think, oh, what happens? So they go and ask the vicar, you know, what happens when they die and it's like oh yeah their souls go do animals have souls well you know they're all God's creatures so yeah they have souls <laughs> so they decide to bury their pets in the graveyard in the oh. cemetery next yeah. to their mum and dad and next to other people Yeah. and then you have this really funny scene where the vicar's heading towards the services and he's walking through the graveyard and suddenly <laughs> there's this like sea of tiny little crosses <laughs> and it's like um, mole a mother and <laughs> Bertie, <laughs> beloved husband of Nelly, Nelly, beloved husband of Bertie, and they're like the hamsters. And then they've gone and got the the pheasant from the farmer's barn, and they've buried the pheasant, and it's got like, a, and it says on there, a peasant of this county. <laughs> and and then all the villagers like going, is that bridie right? No, she's not right. You know, she should she, she'd be put in a home. She's too old to be wandering around with all these kids. Kids, yeah, and. To cut along, so I don't want to give you the whole plot, yeah. but the father of Julian, yeah. the boy, um, decides to confront her finally and says, you know, you know, you did this to her. And he has his shotgun with him and he waves a shotgun about and he runs across the graveyard, trips and the gun goes off. And then he sort of realises that actually she's not at, at fault, that yeah. these accidents do happen, but she's worried that she's in trouble. So she flees and then Ian McShane's character rescues her from the river where she's drowning and looking, takes her looking back. Looking very, very Heathcliff. He looked at Heathcliff yeah. and takes her back to the gypsy camp and then their romance starts there and, you know, it, the story progresses. But it's at its heart, it is a story of that sort of innocence and how this child who's a bit outcasty finds acceptance with other outcasts. So, you know, she's this loner child who's only ever been accepted by children. Yeah. But now she's a young woman. She hasn't really got a place amongst that society as a woman yeah. they, they want to keep her forever as this like slightly dotty child yeah. and it's Ian McShane who sees her as a woman and, and, and that he, she has a future not just in a home or committed somewhere but as a future um, as, a, as, a, as a wife and as a, as a, as a woman yeah. and so it's yeah that moving away from those sort of the, the, the childhood sort of ties and moving into her future but there's tragedy and there's other things that goes on that she has to separate herself from before she can move on. But it's about that growing up and leaving one like that life of innocence behind, that childhood behind, and becoming a woman and moving on with life and love. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> but it's quite a sweet film. So what do you? Okay, so you you've chose this as one of your hidden gems, one of those yeah. films that you hope you wish more people knew about. Yeah, I like it because there's the the romance with the small R in that it's you know it's it's about a a, a world that we doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's set in that we doesn't we don't even know when it's set. It's set in we believe in like the fifties or something, mm-hmm. or early sixties as it's broadly contemporary. But you never see vehicles. You never see the outside world. It's this village is all you ever see. Yeah. So it's well, yeah romantic in that it's the past and it's idealized. It's always summer and it's shy, about sun is shining and it's. The idyllic English countryside. Ah, uh, so like a never-ending English summer. Yeah, kind of there's thing. no industry there. There's no traffic. There's no nothing. What modern world is not? In, there's no mute pop music. There's no nothing. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's lost in time. All right. With like the gypsy encampment, they've got their modern gyp caravans, but they've also got their old painted wooden caravans. So again, it's it's in a different time and place. And then it's that bigger romance, as in you know, you've got it's this at heart. It's like this love story. It's a lost girl and a lost boy find each other. <laughs> and some, and, um, um, yeah, so it's and that, those, the themes of you know, sort of like loss of innocence and that coming of age. So it's a sweet story, and there's humour in it as well. It's also got to be like it's so you said it's set in the West Country, somewhere in the yeah, West Country, some in the West Country. That, that's got to be one of the few sort of collections or recordings of the West Country on film around that time because yeah. this, is the, this was made in the 50s right yeah well it's released in 1966 so it was made okay. in the early 60s made in the early 60s but yeah but 
I, I don't recall seeing much of the West Country on film. No, you couldn't really say it was definitely, oh, that's definitely near Dorchester or that's yeah, definitely yeah. near Weymouth. You couldn't place it, but it's just those sort of rolling hills of the of the West. And the West uh, Country. do they bother with the accents or? No, they come and go. Some of them sound a bit Welsh and some of them sound a little <laughs> bit rural, you know, yeah, that yeah. broadly rural. Yeah. Um, so, because when I first heard them, I thought, is that a Welsh accent there? <laughs> but I think it's supposed to be like a Somerset. Dorset type accent. And you were talking about the the behind the camera crew on this. Yes, it's actually the story is from a a book. uh, Well, it's from a story by Mary Haley Bell, Mm -hmm. who those of you who are out there who are in the know, she also wrote Whistle Down the Wind, and she's also the mother of Haley Mills Ah. and the wife of John Mills, the famous thesp and actor and director and all sorts and it was John Mills who actually directed this yeah. and his production company was behind the making of it it's actually a John Mills production yeah um, starring their daughter starring their daughter so it's a mum and dad presenting their daughter as a young woman to the world in some ways as well <laughs> yeah it's, almost it's like, like yeah here she's grown up it, it also sounds a little bit like you know film as some sort of therapy going oh my god my daughter's growing she's up, growing up. Yeah, what yeah. am I going to do yeah. but she's a kid and everybody thinks she's a kid and what are we going to do we're going to put her in a film or we'll work on our issues as we make this film yeah. <laughs> in the edit suite we'll work on our issues in the edit suite yeah. but yeah there's I just yeah I think I saw this when I was a teen so it yeah. was one of those the romance of it appeals to then and now there's sort of like an element of nostalgia as well that appeals to me but yeah I watched it recently because I knew it was, we were going to talk about it so I watched it again and yeah I was just like lost in it a bit thinking mm. this is yeah this is a world that we won't see again we won't see it's like again but yeah it's still yeah a sweet nostalgic romantic film so when you say romance with a small R you mean that it's not yeah. it's not going to make it's not going to make me roll my eyes or anything like that there's a couple of you know the first time they kiss is a bit you sort of think okay (laughs) (laughs) well it's a bit like we're talking about the student prince the other week and you were talking about the bit where the prince is holding her and is bellowing this song out and he's crushing her head into his chest and being like oh look at me i am being all loving here yeah is it a bit like that where you're like put her down (laughs) it's not quite as bad as that but there's a bit where um yeah he's sort of if they sort of they're going to kiss each other but they have never this is you get, you get the feeling it's not his first kiss but it's her first kiss oh yeah and so he's sort of it's almost like he's sort of working his way around <laughs> it's like he starts at her cheek and he's like no 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 and then uh, part of me is a bit like oh just get on with it <laughs> That sounds hilarious. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna watch this now. I'm gonna go on YouTube and I'm gonna find this scene. Find that scene. <laughs> and but, I don't think it's done to be funny, but to me I was just like, Okay, just yeah, just yeah, get in there without all the messing around. <laughs> oh my god. All right, cool. Thank you so much for that, Sharon. <laughs> we now go on to uh well it's a, a kind of a penultimate part of the show, which is where we talk about an exception to the rule. So this is a film that was released after nineteen eighty, but we say this is a film that can be that can stand toe to toe, shoulder to shoulder with any film made in any period. And the film we're talking about tonight is Good Night and Good Luck. And now this film it kind of blurs the lines because it's made in black and white anyway. Yes. So it, it, it looks a bit old school. Mm. It looks a bit old school. But I think it's probably just the filming style and the directness of the way it just sort of like goes at the at the issue and everything like that. It, it It's almost kind of because it's set in the 1950s. Yes. It's during a, the McCarthy. Witch hunts. Witch hunts. Senator Joseph McCarthy, who decided that he was going to set up. So was it like the Committee for Un-American Activity? Yes, that's it. Among what, American Activities, which is basically communism that yeah. was their big thing. yeah exactly so anybody who was and it have became, you now or have you ever been a member of the communist party yeah isn't that the line yeah that, that is the line and it, it becomes it, it gets very kind of it became very tenuous so it was kind of like oh you went to a communist party thing once or yeah in 1933 you actually went to a communist rally <gasps> you read under the bed <laughs> yeah all this sort yeah of exactly stuff. and it was like there's a bit in the film where there's there's a guy who is he's a soldier but because his sister has some links with the Communist Party, they're trying to kick him out of the army mm. because they're like, oh, no, no, your family has this whole thing. And it, it just and because somebody's father um, subscribes to a to a Serbian newspaper, they're like, oh, yep, communists. And, all, and so it became very, very heavy handed and it became mm. very kind of like, you know, just people just being scared of absolutely anything. Yeah. And and it, it's a f- and so the film is set in a TV studio. 
Yep. Set about, uh, but there's a character played by David Strathairn called Edward Murrow. Edward Murrow. Yeah, who, who has a TV, he has a current affairs program called See It Now, which is a bit like a news night, a bit like a news night program. And he essentially starts off, and you can tell it's the 50s because he starts off and the light comes up on him and he's sitting there with cigarettes <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> and, it, and then he, he, and he sort of like goes very direct, delivering also like polemics against certain things in the community mm-hmm. that's backed up by. Oh, and he had the and the film goes into detail of all the people behind the scenes. The his his um so the his main producer who's played by George Clooney, who also directed this film. Yeah. Um uh it's played by George Clooney. You have like a writers played by uh Robert Downey Jr. and all these sort of things and you, you get to see all these yeah, people. Sort of Jeff Daniels, isn't there in there is Yes, Jeff Daniels is in there. And you have all these people behind the scenes and you see them, how they come together to pull, to bring this stories because, and it's kind of like one of these films that says the news has a moral obligation or yeah. like it, it, it has a very kind of um, idealistic view of what yeah. you can do with news and what you can do with when you have a platform like TV. And they look at what Senator McCarthy is doing and how he's railroading all these people and how he's pretty much destroying people's lives. Yeah, careers for this, were destroyed. Yeah, yeah. destroying careers for the slightest, to, yeah. s- slightest random wisp of a possible reason. And he was like, right, you're a communist, destroy it. You're not and the whole to work thing anymore. about you had to name names. It's like, unless you, if you were under the spotlight, the yeah. one way you could make your grilling a bit easier is yeah. by naming other people who were also communists. Exactly. And so that whole... Well, it's just, it's just in, it is a witch hunt, is it? It's just yeah. that if you blame someone else, then you're going to be, you're going to let get yourself off by yeah. casting someone else in the, in the so, so, ju- so, I mean, and, horrible situation. And I'm sure it happened, but even when I think about it, I'm just thinking that it's like, you could just see it lending itself straight away to people just saying whatever so that they're left alone. Yeah. And this is what these, these group, these group of people in this TV show decided, decided we are going to speak out against this. We're going to speak out against Senator McCarthy and tell him this isn't right. Mm-hmm. That it's, and we, we've spoken about George Clooney before on this show. And we've spoken about how he has this whole, um, that he shares something similar with Marlon Brando in that Marlon Brando was quite a political actor. Yeah. And he would he would use the platform that he'd gained from being like, you know, a lauded actor to raise all these political issues and make these films that made like, you know, political points. Mm. Like we spoke about Kimada on the on the show, which yeah. was really talking about, oh, look what when we go into a place as um when we go into a place as the as like, you know, colonist and we colonize the place, what are we actually doing? Mm. What how are we actually making the place better? Are we just being greedy? Are we actually making the place worse? And we condemn these people to like some sort of doom. And George Clooney does that as well. And this being the second film he directed, he you can see that it very definitely has that th- that thrust to it. That thrust to it that says, look, we can't be doing this. We can't be holding on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as and we need to be careful that we don't fall into these traps again. Yes, because we can look back at McCarthyism and say we would never do that. Yeah. And then you look at you say, actually, turn the light on yourselves, mm-hmm. and we do something very similar. Well, well the, the thing or about the danger is you do something similar. Well, the, I think he made this film, and he wanted to make this film at the time it was made because this was in two thousand and five. So it was a couple of years after nine uh, eleven mm. happened. A couple of years after nine eleven happened, and obviously you had that whole thing then when. If you, you take the 1950s and take the communist and replace that with the noughties in America and Muslim. Yes. <laughs> and and he was and he was just sort of saying, okay, okay, remember what happened back then? Remember how any small thing, do anything? And so, oh, I saw this guy and he was carrying a prayer mat. Or I saw this guy and he had a beard. And, yeah. and he was like, and he really wanted to show that, look, people, this is what happened there. This is how we stood up against yeah. it then. We shouldn't let this happen again because this is what's, this is where we could end up. This is where we could end up, and this is we need to remind ourselves of a time when we stood up against it. Yeah, so we're not f- that far away from yeah. doing that. In I mean, McCarthy thought he was perfectly justified in what yes. he was doing because he was thought communism was the greatest threat to America in those days. Yes, and now it's like the the, the war, Muslim, the Islamic, the, the war on terror. Yeah, <laughs> the war. is the greatest threat to America, and if you are un-American, if you don't do this, yeah, and that's not so much what you do do, but it's what if you don't agree with me, if you don't, do if you this, don't, yeah, then you are un-American. It's kind of like the whole, um, the whole George George W. Bush thing of if you're either for us or against us, yeah, and that, and I think it was in that, that world mm. that he made this film, saying, "Look, guys, this shouldn't." So essentially, you looking back on the past, tell you something about yeah about the time that you're in, and 
thinking about what's happening in America right now and thinking about the whole oh Donald Trump thing and yeah. the and the present presidential election and and what he's saying about different people and how each time he opens his mouth he's talking about building up a wall and he's saying yeah. stop <laughs> stop all the Muslims from coming to the country and and every time he says something he becomes more and more of well he, he just becomes more and more of like some sort of cartoon villain yes but at the same time more and more of a McCarthy figure but just yeah. the only difference is that he doesn't have the power right now. Yeah, because his slogan is "We're going to make America great again." Yeah, and it seems to be the only thing the way he's going to do that is by um, becoming Jason, <laughs> Senator Joseph McCarthy. Yeah, but yeah, if, if you're not for me, you're an American somehow. Exactly. If you do not agree yeah. with what I say, you're an American. You're an American. And yeah. I feel like this. If you is, don't want a wall, you're an American. And I feel like this is a film that George Clooney made that is going to resonate forever because yeah. it's, it's capturing it's always a different mood that it will pick up on there's always mm. a different mood because i think there's something very human about the whole mccarthy witch hunts where we will try and find somebody to scapegoat for something that we don't like yeah and there's something there's something very human about that and i feel like jacqueline picked up on that uses this story released it at a time when he felt like his country was probably going that way again mm. and this film is still pertinent because we're still in the aftershock of that point. So Who I, would have thought where we would be in 2016? Yeah. At this point, politically, where you're looking across the Atlantic and going, I don't understand what's going on. I yeah. don't understand yeah. how it's come to this. Yeah. It's, yeah and, and I feel like he well, just... Yeah, I don't want to be... I feel like I'm sort of going, you know, <laughs> look to thyself. But, <laughs> you know, because I know we don't live in a perfect political system either. No. But you think we... But I know people fled McCarthyism to this country and you think, is it going to be the situation where people have got to flee America because they feel that there's more freedom outside of the home of the free and the brave and all the rest of it? Yeah, well, but, we don't want to start talking about America because we don't live there. We don't live there. It's we can, not our thing. Uh, we can just sort of sit down there. Here, here we are on the Isle of Wight where there's no crime. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> life is good. But we can still look and think, I don't understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense. But I feel like the film he made is, is one for the ages. Yeah, it's really um, as a film. It's great. It's atmospheric. It was nominated for like six Oscars. Stunning lighting and cinematography oh, and it, visually, it's a feast. Yeah, it, it it really is. And the fact that it's in black and white, and yeah. the fact that it's just this beautiful black and white photography, and this is just so atmospheric yeah. and so. I mean, even the way the smoke from his cigarette yeah. comes up. Is and just I think so David Strathairn, he's got those faces that. He does black and white well, doesn't he? It, it, his face works with black and white. <laughs> that that man can rock a black and white screen. Yeah, he's just got that the, the bone structure, the hair, the eyes. It's just it works for yeah. him completely. I, I, th- I think they they they, they and Patricia Clarkson because she yes. plays the only lady on the on the team. She plays it on, and she just looks like some sort of like like she she put me in mind of Veronica Lake. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, she, she has put, a, like a, a curl, doesn't? Yeah, she the, the curl and the hair and everything like that. I'm like, yeah, Patricia Clarkson, you I think rock she's black good and in white. Everything she does, oh, she is. Yeah. She's an amazing film called The Station Agent that I saw on my own in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> You're like, what the what's going on here? I was, oh. Why am I the only one here? But I was I had that's, a cinema to myself. That's because that was it. it was before Game of Thrones started, so people weren't going to see films with Picard Dinklage in it. No, they weren't going to see a film about a dwarf. Who likes trains. Yeah. They just weren't going to see that. <laughs> but but look, fantastic film, and she was fantastic in it. Yeah, but no, Patricia Clarkson's brilliant. I think. Mm. I think, and just everybody in this film is on is on song mm. and it's even though it's a it's a pretty sim- simple story of a pretty short period of time and just what they did and all that kind of stuff i think yeah. it it almost stands as and the a, pressure he came under not to follow this story yeah and not to take this line because mccarthy yes. was mccarthy so had a now. lot of power and was just sort of pushing on them going no we don't want this if you do this you're going to be an american they try and yeah, they try you, and this could be you sat in the stand exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> it's like they try and paint like murrow and they say oh he's a communist he went to a meeting once and all that and Murrow is like he fights against it and says no and it's and I, I feel like there's a lot of things that it does it talks to the current media and it mm. says hey look this is what you're supposed to be doing this is what you could be doing with your lives yeah. you're not doing it get back to these standards it talks to the people saying hey look you shouldn't get to this point you shouldn't you shouldn't say, oh, we're going to shut free speech up for whatever reason. Yeah. Say, okay, uh, because uh, we don't like this, we don't like this, we don't like this, so we're just going to say... You can't say that. Yeah, you can't say that, you can't say that. We're going to take you and we're going to we're going to paint you as this. Yeah. And he says, no, you shouldn't do that. And I, I just feel like it's one of those films that, while political, it isn't so overtly political that you get to the point where you're like oh forget this Look, so yeah. I think sometimes people try to make it's a political preachy. statement and preachy. yeah they get preachy and they forget to make a good film this doesn't this takes this yeah. tells you a good story through a good film 
and lets you pick up the points itself. Yeah. And I, th- I, I think it was really the point at which George Clooney arrived as a director. Definitely. As a so filmmaker. So you noticed him thinking, actually, he isn't just someone who is he's not just a pretty ER. face yeah <laughs> he isn't just some good. guy who got lucky after got being lucky. on a tv show and yeah. it ended up being like this big star he's actually he actually is good has something yeah. to say and you understand why sometimes he makes these big blockbuster films that aren't maybe that great it's Batman because he can say right i will make that film take the money and then make the film i'm really passionate about yep and it doesn't always work every time but he normally comes up with some really interesting results yeah well yeah okay weird one men who stare at goats that was a weird one. where i saw that yeah weird you're right <laughs> that, that's a weird one um but okay so if you're saying that for good night and good luck to exist batman and robin had to had exist, to exist you take that payoff, wouldn't you? Oh, just about, yeah. yeah. I think I think I'll just I'll just about take that payoff. I mean, that <laughs> at least <laughs> thankful. Well, there has it, to be it balance in the universe. It has something to. good had to come out of that mess. Yeah. <laughs> something good. Had to come out of. <laughs> All right, cool. Now, also, good night and good luck has a very sort of like a. This essentially has all these jazz standards as the as a score of the movie, and they intertwine into the movie in that you actually see the band that did the music in the film at certain points because obviously they're in a TV studio there's bits where they walk by and they're actually recording the songs that end up on the soundtrack of the movie wow that's clever yeah it's, it's really clever and there was uh, oh, what was her name it's a lady called I'll let you know afterwards there's a lady called Diane something who was who was gotten she was where is it Diane Reeves and she, they put a, a band together to record these songs specifically for the film and the music was just so good and so atmospheric it won a Grammy award in 2006 for the best jazz vocal album <laughs> and all came there was again George Clooney resurrecting good old values resurrecting jazz yeah, that's uh, jazz he, he makes it really hard to hate him nice <laughs> okay but yeah so this is um, Diane Reeves and the combo from the Good Night and Good Luck soundtrack singing One For My Baby Quarter to three. There's no one in the place. That's great. It makes you actually want to go and listen to that whole album. She's got a great voice. She has. Diane Proper Reeves. Proper jazz voice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's brilliant. Finland. Just got to love that bass. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. But you were saying something about where you saw this film. Yes, yeah, by a strange twist of fate. I actually saw this at the Commodore at Ride, we were talking about earlier. So it was an old school film and we saw it in like this old school cinema. And the reason we saw it there was there was a period before Cineworld opened yep. where all the other cinemas on the island sort of went, yeah, that's it, hands up, we, we surrender. And so this Newport, the cinema in Newport closed really early and uh, we ended up going to Ride to because that was the only cinema there was for a while, for over a year. Man, they must have been loving that. They must have been raking it yeah, in. Yeah, they just had the monopoly on. <laughs> They're probably still living off the money from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I imagine the Commodore be. They must have been packed, like, every night or something like that. Whatever they well, sh- Yeah, they just... Had, had yeah they just they they had it for, for until cinema was built then they, yeah cine world was built yeah they had it so I went to see that with the, my friend Louise ah anyway I think our time is almost up I think it's time for us to to bid goodbye to you so in the meantime we shall say uh, stay well get well soon listen to your doctors get home watch some films and remember as always they, they don't, don't make, make them, them like, like they, they used to, to. good night. <laughs>